Bullard, Williams, Goolsby, Mester, Powell. Does that sound like the lineup of the championship Denver Nuggets? No, that is the list of five Fed speakers that we have to look forward to just this week. Powell will be in the House and Senate floors testifying, and all of those other Fed governors will be speaking in some capacity this week. I think Bullard is speaking both on Tuesday and on Friday. Do we really need to hear what all five of these people think about what is happening at the Fed just this week, or do we think that maybe... It's just going to confuse people further and add more uncertainty to markets. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. Of course, it's Macro Monday. I've got Dave Weisberger and Mike McGlough. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit the like button down below. Smash it, tap it, hit it, pound it, whatever you guys want to do with it. I didn't realize we had so many Fed speakers until Mike McGlone and I were speaking just before the show. I looked it up over here because you guys know if you uh, read the newsletter every day, I take a look at the... uh, the uh, market wrap from Bloomberg, and it gives you uh, the key events of the week. And half of these are Fed speakers, presidents, all the all the Fed presidents. I don't know why we need so many presidents of different Feds. Maybe I can get some clarity from the guests today. But as I said in the intro, I can't imagine what they possibly have to say at this point. You know, we 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 saw Powell, we saw FOMC last week. We're going to definitely talk about the Freudian skip, as I like to call it, where he said skip instead of pause and then corrected himself, went back to pause. I'm just going to go ahead and bring on the guest. Mike, I need you to make some sense of this for me. Why do we need to hear five Fed presidents speak uh, in one week? So I'm as I, I Dave's um, uh, no, uh, response, I think, sells, is, is a thousand words. They're all going to say the same thing. It's a big difference how the Fed is now versus the past, where they were um, people who, like me, worked at primary dealers. They didn't say anything. We were just supposed to figure out what to do, and now they just won't shut up. But the key thing to remember here is to point out here is they're all saying the same thing, that they will be vigilant. They're all talking about tidy hike, more hike rate hikes. But just look at what happened last week, the week before Bank of Canada, surprise rate hike. Federal Reserve um, were, were hawkish. ECB raised rates. Bank of England raised rates. The only key countries that are key countries that's cutting rates is China because they're in a secular decline and they're going to be facing a recession from the rest of us. So the key thing is, let's look at the next meeting now, July 26th. We're at 70% that they're going to go 25. And that's the key point that I think the market doesn't get yet is this is the big cat and mouse game between the stock market and the Fed. And the Fed is not going to ease, in my view, ever. Uh, probably ever until the stock market tells them to. Then why should they? Because everything's fine. Inflation's going down. The economy's doing fine. The stock market's great. Then there's signs of things breaking, which, as I point out, like commodities collapsing, credit crisis, and, you know, housing housing dropping from the highest ever, things like that. That's all tilting in. But this is where I think it's a bit of a worst case, kind of a delusional stage where the market hasn't figured out yet. So. I'll, I like to point out a few facts. I've been went back and just figured out a little bit. Uh, you know, you watch markets versus a 200-day moving average, and sometimes it gets too cheap, and sometimes it gets too expensive. 
So right now, the NASDAQ is 23% above its 200-day moving average. And that's since 2000, when it had that all-time high. It's only happened on three separate occasions. It almost always comes after it goes down a lot, moving average tilts lower, and then it points back out again. The point is, it virtually never stays that high above a 200-day moving average. It's never happened with the curve this inverted. So that's point. that point, to me, is what the market doesn't get yet. Is It's priced for all this normal human nature optimism and hope hopium that just forgot that the last almost 30 years every time the market went down the fed was there to save you this time it's going to be pointed out clear from these all these fed governors that we're not going to save you we're focused on inflation my forward-looking measures like ppi are collapsing commodities are collapsing but we're focused on our measures and i don't see a win-win here for risk assets yes i've been wrong but now this is the way it always happens you have to battle you have to get that periods where people have i think um irrational exuberance for with with a lack of fundamental understanding meaning this is an economy that's just tilting towards recession the fed's going to make it go that way and it's not going to save you until the stock market goes down dave you did the i asked how why we had to hear all these fed people speak you gave me the uh the beginning of the chicken dance. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Fed's best tool, their favorite tool to use, the one that that has the least economic consequences to it, is jawboning. Has always <laughs> been that way, and will continue to be that. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, Powell has been very clear, and I kind of understand where he's coming from. Uh, that what he, the, the measure that he's looking at. Uh, that he wants to look at. It's not all the Fed governors that way, by the way, but Powell for certain, he cares about inflation expectations and those polls and what's going on there a lot because he realizes that what he's doing with interest rates is there's two aspects to it. The aspect number one is that everyone focuses on is if you put a lot of people out to work, out of work, then labor costs won't will go down because companies will be able to screw people. Uh, that's kind of a nice way of, of talking about supply and demand, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a Monday morning. So I kind of feel very cynical today. So well, that's thing number one. Uh, and he doesn't really want to do that, but doesn't feel he has a choice. Uh, the same thing is true about, you know, Mike's favorite point, which is the wealth effect. You know, if you knock the stock market down, then people will feel less wealthy. They won't spend as much. Once again, you won't get as much demand. So those two things are true with regard to interest rate hikes. And we've seen them time and time again. But the other part, which he actually does focus on, and he's talked about it several times at several meetings in the past year, is he cares about inflation expectations. And the fact is, if people expect inflation to go up, then they buy things quickly, causes demand to increase, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Similarly, on the way down, if people expect inflation to decrease, then they don't buy as much. They think that their savings might actually be useful, and so they save, and inflations don't get driven higher. In wage negotiations, unions with high inflation expectations push harder, yada, yada, yada. So <clears throat> what does this all mean? Well, all I'm saying, all I would say is that the inflation expectations measurements in polls uh, is trending down. Uh, we had this uh, kind of a strange one this last month where the longer term rose up a tick, but the shorter term came down a tick. I'm not sure what to make of that but they're watching it. The The fact is that you know we're, we're looking at a Federal Reserve who skipped in order to give them time to look at data. And so what does that mean? That means for these knuckleheads that if there's a short-term blip in data, 
that makes them think they need to fight inflation. They'll hike rates next month. Uh, if not, they won't. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. So more than most months when we start getting the, the, the inevitable flood of data before the next meeting, it's going to matter because they basically gave themselves an extra month to look. If PPI rolls over, if CPI comes in at a muted level, uh, you know, if, uh, and I hate the unemployment rate because it's bullshit, but if the labor force participation rate and unemployment rate signal a cooling economy, then I think they will continue to skip and they will do so until they, but, but I think they like that word skip because it gives them the ability to jawbone. And so they it, can, yeah. he will raise yeah. if you guys go do anything wrong. But, yeah. but he didn't mean to, uh, apparently, okay, I listened to it. Uh, he didn't mean to say skip or did he, right? But for someone who's so deliberate about his words and the tone that he uses, he corrected himself very, very fast. It, like I said, Freudian skip. It seemed like a Freudian slip that he said skip and then he very quickly said, I mean, pause. So are we now embracing the skip language because he happened to let it fly or? It's, it's this is William Faulkner. Sounded it's so stupid, by the way, that we're talking about this, but we have to because that is what the market's talking about. It's, it's a bunch of BS. At the end of the day, it's the same shit, which is to say that if they can justify not raising rates by the data, they will justify not raising rates. Now, the biggest single problem that Mike points out every single time and is correct and I want to be clear about that because while I'm not as I'm not as McLoomy as Mike, uh, the fact is he's right about they're looking at the wrong data. But that's a totally different problem. <laughs> so Mike, skip, pause, pivot. I mean, what what are the meanings here? Now, I, I think I've been on the uh, I will die on the pause is not a pivot hill. I think we've uh, litigated that this is not a pivot, obviously. <laughs> Much to do about nothing clickbait and for people like Dave and I who have been following the Fed for decades. Move on. They are not going to be there to save you. This is something I've never seen. They clearly stating we're not going to be there to save you if the market goes down. So it better not go down if you're long. Next, I look at it as as a as a strategist. Two your notes, US government two notes, four point seven percent. Put them away and, and leave. And wait till something happens. If it doesn't, you say, okay, it was, it was a good period. So next subject to me is what's the data showing? So let's look at um, on a global basis. What did people get wrong a year ago, starting with crude oil? Initially wrong right away, and then it turned out that way. Why did the vast majority of people expect it to go above, stay above 100, and it's at 70 and still things like um, natural grass collapse? Because they missed the demand pull side of what's happening globally now when's the last time we heard an upward revived vision of demand pull estimates from china it's all tickling tricking down so that's a, a secular um decline in this economy that just blasted off in the last 20 years it is we all know it's a way overdue every single economy in the history of mankind when it goes up that fast has a significant correction so that's just getting started so let's look at its two main places what exports to now they're high now but the thing I do on weekends is, I, you know, some of us do is I study and listen, read everything I possibly can. I hear a major divestment. Everybody's doing whatever they can to get out of China. And China's even doing what they can to get their manufacturing over to Mexico. So their main two um, clients, U.S. and Europe, not only do they obviously get them upset with this war, but they're going to a recession. What stops this? Well, they're all raising their rates. Why is China cutting their rates? So that to me is the beginnings of a global economic um, slowdown. Now, probably the recession. It's just getting started. The key thing is there's nothing here to save it at the moment. 
And then I look at things like, well, Bloomberg Commodity Index, it's, it's collapsed. You look at producer price index, they've collapsed. Copper's going down. Uh, you know, all these things that are really supposed to relate to that global economy. Um, and then, so to me, the Fed, the fact is they're still priced for tightening. So I just look at it as a risk, some in running risk. Oh, how expensive are risk assets? Well, the Nasdaq's 23% above its 200-day move average. It's very expensive. And and it's not going to go down. And I mean, it will go down. But that's even when it does go down, is that going to maybe those great height expectations will lessen a little? But they're not going to be cutting. Mike, I need to ask you a specific question then. Okay, so we've talked about the labor market quite a few times, right? You've made the point where people argue uh, historic lows. Uh, as if that means it's going to go lower. And obviously, you know that the mean reversion is that they've already tightened enough labor markets, uh, unemployment will rise, right? I've seen people making the same argument for commodities. We keep talking about the fact that commodities are falling off a cliff, PPI at the fastest uh, level ever, Bloomberg Commodity Index, the price of oil now. But people are saying because it's now fallen off a cliff, the mean reversion there will be that they will rise again. And then therefore, we will have to talk about inflation and not deflation. So I guess the question packed in there is with them falling off a cliff, is there still room for them to continue down? Or is it much like the labor market where the only way now is up? Um, lots of room to continue down. They typically have to get cheap. And there's only really one commodity, too, that got cheap. And that is natural gas getting went too high, back down to two. That got cheap. It's back up at two sixty. You know, that's what's supposed to happen. Lumber got too expensive, got too cheap. It bounced. But and then it, it might take if history is a guide, ten to twenty years to get back to those old highs. And it's only because of debasement of currency. The the fact is, for commodities to bottom in this environment, with the mem- number one source demand pull source for the last twenty years trying to hit ticking lower, is you basically need a long and variable lag to Federal Reserve easing. That means you need basically a weaker dollar, you need the Federal Reserve lower plateau. We're so far away from that, if history is a guide. So now I ask people, then if you expect commodities to go up, so what's going to cause that? Were you the people who were bullish last year? That's what's happened. We're in the early days of the supply and demand elasticity kicking in. We still have massive supply. Of the, all the production signs are still kicking up because they were a self-forward on the curve. We're saying things like crude oil. And the demand is is kicking, still ticking and ticking downward. It's just getting started. Like I said, the bottom line is right now, virtually every risk asset on the planet, most notably commodities, are completely subject to that stock market. It has to go up just for commodities to stabilize. And what's the risk? The stock market goes down and everything falls, like crypto. So that's the problem. Is it's all about Fed and monetary supply right now, and they are still tightening. At least they're still expected to tighten. It's not just the Fed. The most coordinated central bank tightening in history is still going on. So when people talk about the end of the banking crisis, I'm like, what caused it? Well, rates are going higher. What caused, what really trick, and that's the key thing I'll end with. What really sparked part of this tilt towards still this fight for inflation is that the, the war in Ukraine spiked commodities and they're just starting to come back. I'll just give the example. In 1980, the commodity index peaked. Um, and then I think it took until 2003 to take out that high. So I can look at it now, but it's usually how these things work. It takes a long time. So I, I, as far as commodities are concerned, I have nothing to add. I think that, you know, disposable consumable commodities where production is extremely elastic, uh, and not just elastic, but technology has improved production in and brought costs down dramatically. I think Mike has it bang on. 
Uh, I'm not sure that what that says for NASDAQ stocks uh, in an era of a technolo technological revolution. I'm not sure what it says about uh, crypto uh, projects, which I think at some point we are due to, to a decrease in correlation. And I think that that is kind of important. And, I'll, and I, and I want to talk about AI at some point in, the, in this, this, this hour, because I think that it's very important for people to understand an emerging narrative here. Uh, and I and I certainly don't see what it has anything to do with Bitcoin, which is really at its core. And I will continue to say it every time we talk about it. It trades like an option on its own adoption, and its adoption is predicated on distrust in government institutions, which is right now at an all time high. And that divergence is one that I think matters. You know, people are are disgusted. Here we have, you know, the the, the leading nominee on one side indicted. And potentially could be behind bars as he runs his his campaign, and the the other the, the incumbent president saying "God save the queen" and looking like like Mr. McCool on stage. I mean, you know, you can't make this stuff up. If someone had, if you had woken up twenty years ago, if someone had said, you know, I think the sad years, thing is you could make this stuff up. By the way, and it would be a great story. But go ahead. <laughs> twenty years ago, if you had said, you know, you're going to have a president who looks like Mr. Magoo on stage and has decided he wants to run again. And he's going to go up against a, a ex-president who literally is under federal indictment and more than half the country hates with a toxic passion that borders on psychosis. People would have said, oh, come on, that can't happen. I mean, you know, this is America. You know, we're not that dumb, but yet here we are. And so, you know, you have to put that backdrop on virtually everything that's going on. It is it is a crazy situation. In the meantime, we have this huge battle going on over a narrative, and a na and and that is what's going on with crypto. Let's you know, I, I think if you want to talk macro, yes, the economics and, and look, I love economics, and and Mike and I can talk about what's going on all day long. And frankly, we're beating it to death because the reality is it hasn't changed. We said it at the beginning of the year that this year was going to be Fed tightening and doing everything they can to overcorrect on the economy and push it into recession, despite what they say. But that at by the end of the year, we'd be into an election cycle and they're going to have to ease off the brakes or whatever the hell they're doing at the time and let the economy kind of go. Uh, I still think that's true. Uh, and the market is a discounting into the future mechanism. And I think that's why you see some of the things that you see. But there is a huge narrative going on. Is crypto evil and bad? Or is a technology that is potentially revolutionary incredibly important going forward in the future? And that narrative is what's playing out on the macro side. Because what we've seen, you know, the stuff that we, that, that we saw this past week, I mean, oh my God. I mean, you know, I, I counted news stories in the macro thing, you know, between the Hinman paper, the SEC basically flipping off the court in terms of their response to Coinbase's writ of mandamus, the Binance case, what's going on there. The, you know, the SEC Stabilization Act is another way, you know, of Congress basically saying the SEC has gone too far. We need to rein it, rein it in. The Prometheum nonsense that's gone on and why that happened and the BlackRock ETF application are all huge news stories and all have a lot to do with the with the, the macro of sentiment and narrative in the crypto case. And, and all of those are, for crypto are going to be more important. As far as the NASDAQ is concerned, what's going to be more important there is the macro AI narrative. On one side, you have people thinking it's going to change the world and it's going to be a new big force, which is why NVIDIA is where it is and every company that embraces it. You're going to see the AI version of Long Island Ice-T for the next six months. Multiple companies saying, well, we're using artificial intelligence to 
sell soda or whatever. He That's doesn't bubble. Yeah, exactly. You will see it because people love to chase that crap. And and there's all sorts of reasons. On the other hand, you have a lot of respected scientists saying it's going to end humanity and Skynet's going to become sentient and wipe us all out. So, you know, the, the, that macro narrative is very important. I mean, we could laugh, but these are not dumb people. I mean, this isn't, you know, you know, it, the, the people who Gasparino feuds with, you know, from the AMC apes. These are like respected PhDs and scientists saying, be be aware and ethical AI and making sure it's ethical. It may be the most existentially important thing in human history. So, I mean, th there are big narratives going on out there, and I think we should unpack some of them. But, you know, when it comes to the commodity super cycle, look, not only do I think Mike is right, but I think it, it's actually dumb to argue that this time is different. I hate this time is different. Whenever someone says this time is different, they better damn well have a good reason for it. And usually the reason is because I'm long. Or <laughs> well, that's one thing I want to pivot over to Bitcoin. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned this. BlackRock ETF seems to be somewhat significant. It obviously bounced Bitcoin about a thousand bucks from 25,000, 26,000. But I've got it on the tip of my fingers. One thing I want to publish maybe next week, if, if Bitcoin's so great, how come it can't outperform the NASDAQ? And I'm, I say that facetiously because it's a fact. The first time Bitcoin right now is at a ratio of about 1.76 to the NASDAQ. It was first traded that in 2017. Okay, so here are six years. If you bought Bitcoin in that day and you bought the NASDAQ in the same day, you have the same return. Yet you get much less volatility in the NASDAQ. You have this broad index. And by the way, typically you get support from the U.S. government. You have the AI explosion. I'm bullish Bitcoin, particularly by what you said about all commodities, every single commodity in the planet, history commodities. People can create more with less every day. And the only really time they go up in, in the long term is when the currency they're based in is debases, i.e. the dollar. And I can show you how the price of crude oil now is the same price versus gold since 1931, I think. I can double check. It just fluctuates. But the key thing about Bitcoin, it has that definable diminishing supply, which I obviously point out a lot. But that's unheard of, never seen before in anything I've ever seen. Obviously, it has that low adoption and early days. Now, I completely believe in that in the big picture. But if I'm right, which I think I'm going to be by the stock market, and it needs to go down for the Fed to lighten up, then everything is going to go down. Cryptos will go down the most. They're supposed to. They've already leading. They're already kind of telling us there's a problem going down. Yes, there's other reasons the Fed's cracking down. Why the Fed's cracking down? Well, because FTX went under. Why did FTX go under? Because cryptos went down. You see the connection there? But Bitcoin should outperform. It's just not there yet. And that's why I think we got to get through that period. We can see a decent bear market in the stock market. I mean, that's going to happen in our lifetimes. Maybe not this time, but it should happen probably by then this year. It should kick in. And to see Bitcoin outperform. And it's not. Right now, it's going down more. So I still look at it as I tilt back to U.S. government too. It's until I see that divergence. I think that, that you, you, well, look, I, I what happens to the stock market, I think that I still believe, and we could say this every week, I still believe we're going to have at least one, two to three week challenging period this fall. Uh, whether that's 10%, 20%, I don't know what it's going to be, but I do believe that will happen. It will be, if I did decide to finally buy puts, it will be the week after I, that my puts expire. Um, uh, if I don't, or if I'm reading, it will happen a couple of weeks before, it will happen before I get a chance to put them in. And I'm looking at a 35 vol instead of a 15 vol and saying, well, yeah. I, what the hell did I do? So I'm not going to bother trying to time it. But the fact of the matter is that you know, I do think that that's true. I'm going to say it again because I want to say it with emphasis. Bitcoin is a freaking option. 
its commodity value is 20 to 30 times its current price. It hasn't gotten there yet. It may never get there. The market is pricing that probability at three or 4%. I believe that its decoupling will happen when, as people are allowed in. Here's a fun fact for you. 50% of the world's capital market dollars emanates from the U.S., and there ain't nobody in the U.S., I hate to be folksy, who's, who's allocating a crypto at this instant in time for two reasons. One, they have mandates don't allow them to let that sink in. They literally are not allowed to because the investment committees, and we, I was just in New York last week, and we saw multiple large institutions, like the biggest money managers, the biggest banks, the biggest hedge funds in the world that are US-based, and every single one of them made us sign NDAs that we can't talk about what they're doing. And all of them have the ability to uh, said more or less the same thing, which is we would love to because we think this is a historic chance and we can't because we are not allowed to invest in this stuff with the regulatory fist fight that's going on right now and with everything that's happening. So that is a very, very big deal and explains a lot about what's going on. So you're not going to get a crowded buying, FOMO buying out of 50% of the money in the United States. That is literally going to end at some point. And that is why the BlackRock story is such a big deal. And by the way, even those who can invest are still incredibly gun shy because they worry about custodial issues post FTX. And yes, there are companies out there that are making great strides in improving safety with custodial issues. I mean, Mike Belshi was on with Mike, with, with Scott, was it last week or the week before? It's all a blur, Scott. I don't remember. Uh, so, yeah, I don't even know at this point what and week it was. Maybe the week, others the week before. Great things. It was that, the week before. Yeah. And, you know, to attract people. But the absolute reality is you have 50% of the money in this world that's investable that's sitting on the sideline. So that's why I think the BlackRock story is a big deal. It's a big deal because they're signaling that they're part of that 50% and they've made multiple differences with the SEC. So that that's one point that has to be made. I do not believe that we have a FOMO rally until we have some sort of regulatory clarity, but I do believe we have a, a floor, as it were, not a floor and a hard floor, but we have natural buying interest and we have this Every month, it's the same thing. It's rotation, speculators selling and long-term holders buying. That has been going on now ever since FTX. And in the beginning, there wasn't enough speculative sellers. They were exhausted. And so we saw this rally. We then saw it settle back down. And now we're back into another one of these trading ranges. And when you're in this trading range, you're watching what's happening. This literally looks, and you said it yourself on one of your 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 either newsletters or or or, or YouTubes, we are literally forming the left side of an inverse, the right side of an inverse head and shoulders. And that's what bottoms look like. Now, could we have a breakdown of that because the stock market absolutely pukes? Of course. Or we could just rip up to like 35 or 40 before it goes to, I mean, but I honestly believe we are watching. And, and the problem with this show is we do it every week. And I'm going to say the same thing for probably three months as we watch the paint dry of this market that's stuck in a very tight range. But the reality is, I believe we are watching a very long-term bottom forming. And the fact that it's forming a year before the halving, the fact that it's forming you know, two years or 18 months before we get clear indications of a change in regime in financial regulation. I mean, I, I honestly think the most bullish thing, and you would see that, that, that 
2017 comparison look foolish is if the Biden administration, whoever's running the country, and frankly, I have no idea who's running the country. I just know that it's not not the president. Uh, it's people advising him. Uh, if they decide that Gary Gensler is a political liability, which considering the, the Republicans are making him into a campaign issue, that chance yeah. is increasing. That is the biggest message, by the way, in that act. That act is one that I think you could probably find, by, if it wasn't being politicized, you could find bipartisan support for most people believe in the financial community and frankly, mo a lot of regulators. I mean, there are other regulators that do not aren't partisan led that a depoliticized SEC is good for the American economy. That is true whether we have a Trump administration next time, a DeSantis administration next time, an RFK administration next time, a Biden administration or a, or a Michelle Obama administration. I think most people are sick and tired of a politicized SEC. So you could find bipartisan support for that bill because it actually makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, the problem is, is to admit it now if you're a Democrat is impossible because it will look like people will focus on hashtag fire Gary Gensler and not focus on hashtag depoliticize the SEC, which is what the act is trying is really about. Right. So now it's political. But I would expect that, that that will actually pass once there isn't Gary Gensler sitting in that seat. I think that that's the kind of thing that people are just okay. Let's talk about the black uh, the, the BlackRock ETF then, because they have a hit rate of five seventy five to one on ETF approvals. The one they ever got rejected was ten years ago. Okay, so I think we can make a case that BlackRock doesn't take a shot unless they think it's going to hit. Right, they're five seventy five out of five seventy six. Right. That said, the SEC has rejected twenty two different uh, ETF spot ETF proposals already and more than 22 times, obviously 22 products, 50, 60 times. If you consider how many times they've kicked them down the road, that's two, uh, big forces meeting here. Right. And so I don't like to put on the tin tin hat, but do you think that BlackRock knows something? I mean, it feels like if the, if, or, or do you think they just think this is good timing and they're getting in line and their record is irrelevant? Like they don't, I mean, maybe it gets rejected, but if they think this will pass at some point, get in line. Because there's people who are saying this can be fast-tracked within a month. I don't see that. No, I don't see that either. But I do think that it's important to note two critical differences between this BlackRock ETF and every other ETF that's been proposed. Critical difference number one is they make the comparison to GLD razor sharp. The SEC has to literally, it, uh, because it will be argued, the SEC literally has to say GLD should not be have been approved. Meanwhile, it's one of the largest ETFs out there, and this is structured identically. Moreover, you cannot compare the gold market to Bitcoin's market for spot and conclude anything other than the fact that the Bitcoin spot market is much more transparent, much less manipulated. And they're going to allow NASDAQ to track that, right? So they, they've added in a surveillance aspect to this where NASDAQ will actually be tracking that, which in their opinion will eliminate the, this market is manipulated and we don't know what the real spot price argument is that the SEC has continually made for rejecting these. That's right. That's the second point. So, sorry. <laughs> well, no, that's right. Yeah. You're, you're that's right. Yeah. So if you look, that basically leaves the only argument the SEC has left in their in their rejection, you know, triumvirate of arguments, is the one that's completely bullshit. And even the judge in the grayscale cases told them more or less that they're that it's bullshit, which is that foreign Bitcoin exchanges dominate the price, and that manipulation in spot is problematic, but in futures it isn't. 
which, yes. which literally right. is is dumber than it's one of the dumbest arguments ever made. I mean, it's so you know dumb. it's crazy. You know, I feel sad for the people at, who actually had to write it on the report, and nobody would want to put their name to that. I'm nope. trying to remember if you guys were on when it happened, but it's happened multiple times with Yusko, who literally laughed off every ETF proposal, said that the future you know, futures ETF would be the top, and said that futures trade all these things. Right? He, he's been spot on, and he literally said repeatedly on my show, on Rand's, on everywhere we go, there won't be an ETF until BlackRock applies for one. He's like, no spot ETF in the United States until it's BlackRock that asks for it. Because why would they approve anyone else's? He's been saying that for years. So that to me is the key thing is that we're, we're, this is in, inevitable. There will be an ETF tracking physical cryptos and an index of cryptos and Bitcoin. It's just a question of time and when. Now, obviously, this is a good sign from BlackRock. I'm just reading my latest comments from our, our my colleagues, Eric Belchunas and James Seifert. And they still, obviously, much more to go. But it's still, I look at it as I just don't want to be putting on bullish outlooks based on hopium i mean i want fundamental sub background and up and and supply and demand indications that this is going to go up over time that's what i see in the meantime what i see is all assets are subject to the stock market going up at the moment even if we and we have this um and i so i think as far as fomo if we're right if our bloomberg economics team is right that this recession really starts kicking in in the next month like i will see with some of the inflation indices showing deflation then I fully expect we're going to see FOMO in gold because it's already starting to have the deepest pockets on the planet are some of the biggest buyers of gold ever in the last couple, two years. You mean, you mean uh, some, it, government, it, the Russian government? It, there you go. I mean, central banks. Um, and the, um, obviously, Chinese have some um, Russians are, well, a different story. But the key thing is they've been buying about is three times in the last two years, about three times as much as retail has been selling through ETFs. Retail has been selling gold ETFs. And I think part of the reason is because why, you know, either stocks, stock market starting to go up and they can buy, get that, you know. So to me, this is one of those things that only thing that's going to bring on more higher prices for gold is higher prices. It's, it's just that kind of setup and it's got fundamental background behind it. And it's got a potential U.S. recession behind it. It's almost always how it works. We don't have that going for Bitcoin at the moment. We have the hopium that BlackRock's going to get ETF. And then it has to fight this, face this environment that if I'm right about this stock bear market, that's not just, this is a classic bounce in the bear market, then there's so much longer to go. We're all, and we keep focusing on the hopium things, all oh, the having. Well, having's a no-no. You know, it's it's just one of the things that never matter. It's it's a known known. It's things that you don't know. The key thing is the market's priced for we're not going to get a recession yet. I think we're going to. That's the thing that's really going to matter. I mean, we're like if you look at the four-year cycle really quickly, Mike. Even with the having in ten or eleven months, you don't really see the price action from the having till four to six months after that on those cycles. So we can still have a monster recession and have the having narrative play out in eighteen months. I want to make it clear, Mike, if we're going to, we could put a line in the sand, say June 19th, that that ratio that you were describing, the NASDAQ, I would love, if I were a macro strategist, the trade I would put on, and it's the same one Mike Alfred puts, you know, has been talking about for whatever, it's uh, long Bitcoin, short S&P, or long Bitcoin, short NASDAQ. I'd prefer a short S&P like Mike. How about short NVIDIA? NVIDIA. If you really want to get down to it, that's probably a big deep trade. But I, but I want to be clear about this. The issue 
is going to play out on the narrative. And I, and I know I sound like Ben Hunt from Epsilon Theory. I don't know if you read him, but Ben is, you know, Ben and Rusty do an amazing job. It's, it's, you know, I, 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 one of my favorite dinners ever was at Dallas STA sitting down with Ben and talking about all sorts of stuff. And, you know, he and I are not on the same side on the political spectrum, but boy, do we look at the world the same way. It's just diff you know, some different values. But the truth of the matter is this narrative battle is the battle. If the anti-crypto army is unable to crack Bitcoin in the next few months, then and you get to a situation where people are starting to see through it, that is a big deal. And I fundamentally believe that the watershed week that the the invasion of russia in the winter week was last week i think that the sec went and the, the anti-crypto army went way too far overextended themselves and they're in deep trouble on the narrative side by putting this promethean guy who looks like a character from central casting out of an 80s wall street is horrible movie uh, so him up there to try to make an argument, which was fundamentally not just untrue, but obviously untrue. I mean, literally they put their hopes on some guy that looked like a character that Gordon Gecko would have slapped around on wall street to say that, Oh, you don't need new rules admitting he was reading a script. He was reading a script. Of crypto can't be traded there. Moreover, the denominator for cryptos couldn't be traded there. And moreover, there's no path for registration of any of the coins that people care about is ridiculous. And that was a big, big problem. At the same time, the BlackRock and the rumor this morning that Fidelity are now seizing the opportunity in the narrative space to now push for a Bitcoin ETF. That is a big deal. Now, I want to make it clear to your audience, Scott, why the Bitcoin ETF thing is a big deal. Because there's so many people in the crypto community, the Bitcoin community, that have their heads up their asses on this topic, I, I want it to be clear. They say, well, not your keys, not your coins, therefore it doesn't matter. That's fine. But let, let's let's be, th th for people who are technologically- It's fine for them. It's <laughs> fine for them. And it's fine for the 0.1% of the population in the US, one or 2% of the investable population outside the US that has by necessity figured out how to do Bitcoin. So my brother is a financial advisor, okay? And I've talked to him for a long time and he, Look, he follows us. He watches your show. He watches me. He understands this stuff. He has conversations literally half a dozen a week with people who ask him about digital assets, despite the fact that he is not allowed to do anything. He can make zero dollars because there's no product that is allowed for a registered investment advisor or a financial advisor to be able to put people into Bitcoin. They're not allowed. Their management would fire them if they put if they discretionarily put people into GBTC. And there's nothing else. They don't want to use futures ETFs for, for obvious reasons. So they literally can't. What he said to me was prophetic. And Adam, if you're watching, this one's to you. The fact is, people don't understand the narrative. They say, why can't I buy this in my brokerage account? If I can't, I think I don't want to touch it. That's the that is the big deal. The day that they are allowed to buy it in the brokerage account, that narrative changes. That is why it is so important. It is not that there's a wall of money who's going to jump into Bitcoin on day one. It's that there is literally double digit trillions of dollars that are unlocked when that happens. Is it does it happen on day one? But people would say that that was the case with GBTC to some degree. I agree with you, by the way. But just playing devil's advocate. Your average investor doesn't understand the discounts and premiums to NAV that have been problematic with GBTC and just these Bitcoin you know what, trusts. You know what, GBTC, 
GBDZ went to a discount for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which was when retail demand ebbs and flows and it flowed and all of the people on the professional side were assuming that it was going to, and it ebbed, excuse me, uh, all the, all the professionals had on the trade because this was this ridiculous arbitrage trade. This was the, if you ever watched Monty Python, the Dennis Moore trade of stealing from the poor and giving to the rich, which is what our current SEC facilitated literally because accredited investors were able to, for years, to charge the premium and capture that that premium in GBTC because accredited investors are allowed to deliver in kind to the trust after six months and retail investors had to pay the premium. Once that reversed and the retail investors no longer wanted it and there was no ready but nobody there for them to sell it to, well, that, that then it went to a discount. You know, that, that dynamic, which should go down as the biggest black eye of Jay Clayton's administration by not approving a, BT, uh, a Bitcoin ETF nor allowing for uh, accredited investor rule reform nor allowing for a safe harbor in crypto that that literally was was harming the exact people that that our progressive leaders uh want to help and helping the people they want to to harm so you know we had that but the bottom line here is it's a narrative space we really have to watch it and and the narrative that's going to win the argument honestly for crypto is going to be artificial intelligence that's going to be the winning argument because there's not a really good answer. And I, I, you know, I, I want to make that exceedingly clear. And that's because crypto is, forget, for, there's more bullshit in crypto than any of the three of us want to care about. Now, let's just wipe away 99% of, of crypto tokens and say they're bullshit. I don't know what the number is, 99, 98, yeah. I, but it's high, okay? But the market structure of being able to use blockchain technology to crowdsource to have verifiability to incentivize people who participate in networks is an innovation a financial innovation that is literally what is needed in order to get ethical ai because the only way to get ethical ai is to be able to crowdsource and verify information and have verifiability in what the data is because to anything garbage in garbage out and if, if corporations are allowed to tilt the data the way they want to tilt it in, you know, AI kind of search, that's going to be incredibly problematic. People might have said that that can't happen, but imagine if a company, if the new Google or Google themselves is allowed to charge advertise or, or charge advertisers for tilting AI search results. Just think about what that could do. I mean, it, it, it literally is an incredibly important use case and deserves an entire show talking about it. I would love, I'd love to participate in that. But my point on the narrative, Mike, is that there is a delinking coming. I think you're right that there could easily be that stock market blip. And there's no doubt whatever price Bitcoin is at, it will be correlated. I just think that you won't see the beta to the downside for exactly the reason you pointed out, which is 2017. Now. So here's the key difference, too, is we're talking about there's a big difference, as you and we agree a lot, is between the crypto market, there's 25,000 of thousand of them. Most of them are speculative, highly speculative digital assets. And I can see people like Elizabeth Warren focusing on that. And then there's Bitcoin and Ethereum, most notably Bitcoin. So to me, that's where Bitcoin really comes out of it ahead. But question for you and your audience is when's the last time you sat through a true bear market in a stock market? And it hasn't been since bottom in 2011. We have not had it. Why? What's changed? That's changed. The Fed is not there. That's why 
I think this is the best setup in my lifetime I've ever seen for a true bear market, meaning one that goes down and stays down and gets everybody bearish. It takes a couple of years. The last, let's look at the peak of the NASDAQ in 2000. It took 13 years to take that one out. Maybe we take out a new high soon, but then you need a good 10-year period where it doesn't make new highs. It always comes after, never forget from where you're from, it always comes after big pumps of liquidity that dump. So to me, this is where we are, and Bitcoin's right in the center. I completely agree. At some point, it's going to come out ahead. And that's one thing I have to point out on this show and be careful about it. Everybody who listens to us wants us to wants to hear things bullish from us about cryptos because that's what they're involved. Now, let's point out facts of what we're doing here. My job is to focus on the macro. So I point, and sometimes I have to take the risk to say, no, I disagree. It's not bullish, and here's why. So we have to put ourselves into this form and say, what's my position? What do I want this person to say to help my position, help me feel good about it? I'm going to just point out facts, what we should expect. We should expect a true, real recession where everybody loses money. Even, you know, and it's one lesson I learned from a hedge fund manager. You have to just eviscerate money. I think that's a term I've heard guests use before. And it's the Fed's focus on doing that right now. Like I said, this is this Bitcoin is just the fastest horse in the race. And here's what I think we're going to look back at six months from now and say, oh, cryptos went down a lot. And they warned us that everything was going to go down. That's what I think was, is, is we're in stage right now. And then I point out, okay, what's the, the, the NASDAQ above its 200-day move, 200 mover and average? It's the most in, you know, rarely stays this high. And then I look at Fed tightening. There's still, I got to see that sign of liquidity. It's not even there from the Fed. Mike, would a BlackRock ETF approval in the next few months change your opinion on that? Or do you think that macro is driving all in liquidity? Because I could see, I'm not saying it would happen, but crypto is still, I mean, Bitcoin is still exceptionally small versus anything else we're talking about. So naturally it follows macro, but if it had a catalyst that separated it somewhat, could it rise in the face of the the narrative that you have set? here's, Here's what I expect. And Dave knows this happens Every 10, 20 years in markets, you have to have a lot of people lose money and they can't buy anything because they get stopped out and they only can buy things that they want. You know, it's not the, the need. It's, it's yeah. the God of sellers. So my point is when you eviscerate money from the system, you buy, you don't have money to buy anything. We're overdue for that. The Fed is telling us they're going to do, do this. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. And that's what you see in the WIRP function. That's what you see from all these central banks. So yes, there will be allocations to bitcoin from traditional assets but if traditional assets are going down let's say the nasdaq drops a normal 50 percent from its peak the s&p 500 drops a normal 50 percent from its peak um in a normal recession normal bear market it's done it twice since the beginning of this decade it's this millennial um then there's nothing no virtually any risk assets go up now is bitcoin more like gold and treasury bonds it will be someday I'm just pointing out facts. I'd love to see it. Yes, a BlackRock ETF makes the difference. It helps make the difference, but not when everybody's losing money. And yes, that's a bad case scenario. But my question is, if you study the histories of cycles and booms and busts, what stops this? I'll tell you one thing that does. If I heard right now the Fed is going to be easing a lot soon, I said, yeah, then we'll be okay with for risk assets. But it's the opposite still. The Fed, that's just, but just one thing. We're still yeah. fighting the Fed if you're bullish risk assets. I, I agree with that really quick, Dave. I just want to say, though, it's interesting that markets refuse to believe that, Mike, right? I mean, we still oh, see no, exactly. we still see cuts being priced in by the end of the year. It's, it's like nobody literally listens to anything the Fed's saying, no matter how clearly they say it. 
this is a classic double dog dare of human nature. The fact stock <laughs> market going going up. I mean, come on. When I was six, we all did double dog dares. When you have four yeah. brothers, they lived by double dog dares out in the field and dog. Okay, it's a classic double dog dare in the market that's making it worse. If let's put it this way, if the stock market was down twenty percent in the year, where would be Fed Fed, Fed hike um, expectations? They would be towards cutting, guaranteed. But it's not. That's what's making it worse. The market is just classic human nature. You buy the dips. You're told you do that. Every manager on the planet knows you got to do that because if you don't, you underperform, you get fired. It always comes to a, a, a breaking point. Always. It's just a question of when. I just have never seen a better example. I mean, the, the financial crisis was a good example because people just got it to extend it. This case, it's the money, the liquidity is being pulled. The rug pull is still there. And they only save like the banks when they need a problem. And my point is, the liquidity is still pull, being pulled. So ETF makes a difference. The bottom line is all the histories of liquidity and pumps and dumps are that this is a pump like 1920 to 1930. Stock market was up 50%. And then the rest was history. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a very, that is a very rational way to look at what's happening in the, Maybe too rational. In the market. I think that is true. <laughs> there's no doubt. Stop you, thinking, you, Mike. No, no. <laughs> it's, it, I think that there's a very good chance of that. I feel like it's, you know, that there's just a lot of other cross currents here. Markets are, unfortunately, if you look at what is going up and driving the market higher, that it gives you a, a hint to what's going on. You're talking about people buying in, you you, you call it hope. hope, 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 hope. That's people a crypto term. They're buying stuff that they think will outperform when everything crashes and the Fed is forced to cut. They're trying to buy uh, that stuff. But you didn't say if you said when. Well, I think That's everything. Thing. No, I, I I don't disagree. Look, let, let's be really clear. I will be really surprised if at some point in the next, you know, probably you know, some point in the August through November time frame, if we don't see a ten to twenty percent correction, that causes everybody to freak the hell out and the Fed to change policy. I, I will be surprised. I think that that one of the things that we're going to find out here is if China. Uh, you know, it, you called it secular as opposed to cyclical. I don't know whether it's secular or cyclical, but they're undeniably uh, slowing down. You know, if that is enough on the global liquidity side for the Fed to basically say, mm, we can't afford this. But who the hell knows? I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I'm not, and I don't want to take a position on it because there are so many cross currents. I mean, people that believe that the markets are still on solid footing are saying that because they, they're discounting what's going on on Main Street. I, I, I don't want to do that. What I'm saying is that, that that we have a very small market that should be or will be, in my opinion, based upon what's going on, a much, much larger market. And I think that there will be lower beta to the downside of, of Bitcoin. I think that you could make an argument that the crash has already happened in the rest of crypto. I mean, even projects that people have, you know, like, and projects that on on metrics on the projects are doing well are down 70 some odd percent over any reasonable time period and 50 percent you know over the last several months there are you could just if you look through scott and my portfolios you see lots of stuff down you know much more than you're talking about right so you know it's already happened the point is it literally has happened already the reason bitcoin hasn't done that is because of the supply demand dynamic of most of the the holders don't want to sell because they're in it for a 10 to 20x gain and they believe in the story and the bitcoin hash rate 
tells that story and you know which we bring up every time that's the difference that, that's where we, you and i d disagree we don't disagree on the mainstream stock market i certainly didn't disagree with you on the ppi what's going on on commodities that we are getting faster better cheaper producing but i think that it's important to understand that that, that we that a lot of what you're already talking about has already happened and so it's it's really important not to beat a dead horse and so you need to i, I think that you know, Scott, you in one of your things last week talked about how Bitcoin's always the first to see it. And and yeah. it was always the first to see it. I think that it's really important to understand that a fundamental D-link, NASDAQ is still around its highs and crypto is way the hell off of its highs. Even even on what I would call the second tier, uh, but, but, prob but within that second tier, of, I, I don't know which of the layer ones you, you, you think are going to survive, but let's just say the top 10 two or three of them two or three of them will survive and be buys be, be you know generational wealth gaining opportunities mike is this now when you point out that uh, we have the major correlation on the way down and not so much on the way up anymore yeah. because that's well, been the data we've seen is that when the when stocks dump bitcoin goes right with it when stocks go up bitcoin's indifferent well that's what's the problem lately is bitcoin as we know the fastest horse in the race it's telling us in q2 there's a problem it's down seven percent s p 500 it's up seven percent nasdaq's what 20 percent the curve is inverted for a reason there's there's so many things you can line up here it says history is going to look back and they say i'm sorry it was the most obvious thing ever curves inverted for a reason commodities are not falling they're collapsing ppi is not falling it's collapsing highest pace ever Okay, back to 1948. So yes, it's a dead horse. I admit that. But we have to point out Bitcoin should be first. And that's what's really getting me scared. It's first. And it's telling you that there's a problem. Cryptos are telling you there's a problem. You can't ignore that the single most powerful senator in control of U.S. economic policy has published on her website the anti-crypto on. You can't ignore it. it's, that it's, the it's, policymakers who are running the economy are doing everything they can to crush this market, and this is the best they could do. I mean, it, it seriously reminds me of Rocky Four, when you know Rocky was trying to Drago, and Ivan Drago is beating the crap out of him, and he basically is like, "That's all you got. That's all you got." You know, it's. It, but by the way, I, I I will not call that a great movie, but it is one of. It's the, a great movie. It's one that of the great movie music videos at masquerading as a movie ever. Living in America. You know, and at the beginning with Apollo Creed. Literally, it's literally that. The most powerful people running the U.S. economic policy are trying to drive it down. That so, is what's been happening. And so, yeah, it's underperformed. Of course it would. I mean, you'd have to, it would have to be incredible for it not to be. Until people believe that that policy will fail, it, you're going to be stuck in this range. So we know that policy will fail. You and I know that from MS lessons of history, all the best technologies always have the idiots that come out and fight against. What are the Lord of the Luddites? It just, we know it will. Thank you very much for being the uh, Aaron Burr of history. And that's the thing <laughs> going on. But this is, um, the point is, it's not in a vacuum. I said, I, yes, I understand that. It's not in a vacuum. Like I said, this is an inverted yield curve of Fed that's still tightening. Commodities are collapsing. There's a reason that's just part of that narrative. It just hasn't. And the key to remember is remember, why are they doing this? Partly because of FTX collapse. And it's we all know this FTX and Lehman and Bear Stearns didn't collapse because everything was fine because the, the tide was going out. That's why the tide is. These are just parts of the tide going out.
Yeah, guys, we're at uh, 10 o'clock here. So uh, we got to move the conversation to spaces, which is inevitable. I don't, there were actually two pieces of breaking news that broke uh, while we were on here. Interestingly, one is that Crypto.com operates internal proprietary trading desk. This is from the block, but referencing Financial Times. So we have a claim now that we have another exchange that's effectively counter trading their clients. For anyone who's wondering that they're running an internal market maker. This is the old BitMEX playbook. They know where your stops are and they're sweeping them. Uh, so going to be interesting to dig into this. Like I said, it's uh, from the Financial Times. And then uh, Do Kwan got four months in Montenegro. But the, just to be clear, this is just for faking his passports, not for any of his actual <laughs> so financial let me, crimes. Let me tell you something I learned in the trading pits. We used to do this thing, hey, where's the stops? Where are the stops? You'd ask the guy in the pits who would carry the, carry the deck, where are the stops? It's just all electronic now. I mean, it's the way it was. They knew what the stops are. They limited, yeah. it, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's it, it, one of the things that we did at Coin Routes years ago, and have a, a is we have a smart stop policy, a smart stop algo that allows people to keep their stops in our system, triggered by a variety of exchanges, so one single exchange can't run them. And every time I see one of these stories, it's it. I think that the by now multiple hundreds of people that I'd mentioned this to. This is why you don't use stops on individual exchanges, particularly in crypto, and why if you're not using something like our product and you have stop losses, uh, you're going to get your face ripped off. And so it's funny, you know, I, 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 if you, you noticed I smiled when you put up that story, it has nothing to do with crypto.com. I don't know the details of the story. No, it's just this can actually be prevented. <laughs> it's like this can actually be prevented if you're an institution and you want to trade crypto and you use stops when you're trading. If you're an active trader, uh, DM me. You know, it's really that simple. We have, the, we've had this, the, the, the antidote to this for a long time. And the fact is, is it's crazy that, that, that people don't use it, you know, very much. I mean, people look at it in crypto and they just don't care about these things. The only people who care about those stories, Scott, are regulators. Yeah, exactly. Such a bad, that's what I'm story. saying. It's just, that's why I said it's just another story of, it's another potential black guy, right? If, if this comes out. There's so many of those things, which is why. Uh, the the that's why the real narrative is most of the industry that matters the serious companies want forms of regulation that are based on principles that can be done that can be workable but that guarantee fiduciary responsibilities among other things this is one of them you know managing conflicts of interest this is one of those and then of course obviously protecting investors and you know you know doing making full disclosures etc 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 the fact is every one of these stories points to the need to regulate, but you can't regulate by enforcement. You need to regulate by rules. Yeah. Regulate by regulation. Crazy, crazy notion. <laughs> I know guys, we got to go. It's ten Oh two. Obviously I got spaces, 13 minutes. Thank you. It was a really great one. I uh, learned a lot and great perspective. Um, can't wait to see what the 500 fed governors and presidents say this week. Truly looking forward to it. Thank you guys. Thank you everyone. Okay, cheers. Yeah, hey, Will. See you in the morning. Yeah. Bye, guys. Let's go. Let's go.